We're going to shine the light of Jesus all over this building this week with these kids, Sunday through Thursday. It's going to be a great time. And can I just say to all of us on Sunday morning, God is not hiding from you. There's a lot of people that think that because maybe they're, they're, they're looking at their emotions or their, thir- their circumstances, but God is not hiding from you. He wants to be found by you. In fact, his word says, if you seek me, you'll find me with all of your heart. So we're going to do something this morning with the sermon. Since it's a family service, we're going to have a little bit more fun than usual. And I've got my wife, Miss Day. She's going to be coming in a moment. She's going to be helping me preach. And Pastor Chris is coming after her. He's going to help preach this message. And we all get 30 minutes, so it's going to be great. (laughs) No, it's going to be short. So I'm just going to give an introduction before she comes. If you have a Bible, open it to Psalm chapter 19, because what we find in Psalm 19 is three witnesses that testify to who God is, that he can be found, that he can be known. And Psalm 19 is only 14 verses long. Long, but in those 14 verses, we get these three eyewitnesses, almost like three witnesses that would stand up in a trial and say, uh, I know this to be true. And what do those three witnesses tell us? The three witnesses in Psalm 19 tell us that God is awesome, that God is amazing, that He's perfect in everything that He does. And these witnesses testify to us. Here's, here they are it's creation. It's the commands, and it's our conscience. And so we're going to look at Psalm 19. We're going to read all 14 verses today, and we're going to unpack this together. So Miss Day, would you come? Y'all make her welcome as she comes. Well, good morning, church. All right. I will... um, I'm usually upstairs on Sunday mornings, in case you don't know that. So I'm used to kid land. Um... They gave me six verses to unpack with you guys, and that's probably safest because I can't go much further than that without breaking out some crazy object lesson or lighting something on fire or eating something gross. So we're safe with six verses. Where are my kids at? Kids, raise your hands. Okay. So I might ask you some questions as we go today, and I just want you to shout out the answers, teenagers you can participate too. And grown-ups, you can too, but don't steal the answers from the kids. Okay, so we're looking in the book of Psalms, and we're in chapter 19. Is Psalms Old Testament or New Testament? Good job, guys. Can anyone tell me who wrote the book of Psalms? All right, fantastic. You guys are smart cookies. All right, let's put the first six verses. We'll we'll read them together. I think they're going to be on the screen behind me. So science proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the sorry, of the heavens, and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Okay, six verses. Now we're going to break it down. So guys, do the moon and the stars and the sun, do they have mouths? Do they talk? Do they have voices? No. No, they don't. They don't have any words. But verse 4 says their voice goes out into all the earth. So we can't hear them with our ears. But I think we can all understand the message that they're saying. What do you think the sun, the moon, and the stars are telling us? 
Well, let's look. Let's look at verse one. We're gonna read it out loud together. Can we put that on the screen again? Can you guys read it with me? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That's what they're telling us. The heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planet, they declare, they proclaim, they tell us the glory, his greatness, his awesomeness, his magnificence. They proclaim, they tell us the work of his hands, his artistry. God is an awesome creator. He's an awesome artist. And he doesn't just create things. He creates things beautifully, even you guys. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in his time, in its time. God created each of you fearfully and wonderfully and beautifully. So then verse 2, this is from the New Living Translation. It says, night after night, they make him known. They point us to God. They make him known. I think it's really important that we don't get that backwards. I think that the world does that sometimes. Some people try to read the stars to guide their life or see the stars as gods. Or they look at the earth and call it Mother Earth or Mother Nature. But the Bible says look further than that. Because all of creation points to the creator above it all. I'm going to read you guys a quote from a book called The Wisdom Pyramid. I thought this was really beautiful. Nature is not a god to worship. It's a prism and amplifier of God's glory. It's a theater, a canvas, a cathedral, but God is always at center stage. Isn't that beautiful? So Mother Earth doesn't determine your future and nature doesn't determine your course. Your destiny isn't written in the stars. Sometimes you guys, we hear stuff like that, but the Bible says look further to the God of wonders who's beyond our galaxy, who created it all. And here's why. We're gonna go all the way back to the beginning to maybe 10 of the most important words you'll ever know. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where it all starts, guys. There are more than 100 verses in the Bible that reveal God as the creator. Everything we see, it all began with God, it was all created by God, and it all points to God. He's so creative, and he's so detailed. Like, really detailed. Have you guys ever seen a hummingbird? It's like this tiny, tiny little bird, and the wings flap really fast. Well, you can't even really appreciate how detailed they are unless you look at, like, a picture up close or... Um, I don't know, they move so fast, it's hard to see them, but they're so detailed. Did you know there are over 300 species of hummingbirds? What? Like, I feel like God was just showing off. Like, he didn't have to do that. The hummingbird's cool enough, but over 300 species, he didn't have to do that, but he did. Or how about um, chocolate? You guys like chocolate? Raise your hand if you like chocolate. If I had more than two hands, they would be up. I love chocolate. Did you guys know Friday was World Chocolate Day? We celebrated in my house. If you missed it, it's coming again next year, but you really don't need an excuse to eat chocolate. I had a van full of teenagers driving around with me on Friday, and so we went to Dairy Queen, and we celebrated, yeah, we celebrated in high fashion with a blizzard and had some chocolate. All right, back on track about chocolate. God didn't have to create the cacao bean or sugar cane. 
And he didn't have to give man the creative genius to put it together and somehow get chocolate, but he did. He's so creative. And then verses four and through six are all about the sun. It describes how it rises in the east and sets in the west and how nothing escapes the warmth of the sun. So I was thinking it makes sense that David, who we know wrote this psalm, it makes sense that he would write about the sun because it's our closest star. And the closer you get to an object, the bigger it appears, right? And so the sun is the biggest and brightest thing that we see in our sky. Our very own sun is 93 million miles away. Did you guys have to run a mile in gym class ever? A mile can feel like an eternity in gym class. 93 million miles away. That's how far away our sun is. And that's the closest star to Earth. And the very same sun that we see every day when we look up in the sky is the same sun that David was writing about when he wrote these verses. But if David had a telescope, much bigger than this one. If David had a, a really big telescope, he might have not chosen to write about the sun. He might have chosen to write about something else. That's a funny word. Can you kids all say scooty? Just because it's fun. So this little tiny dot down here, that's our sun. Can you even see that? That line is actually, it just looks like this picture, the screen is divided in half, but it's not. That line is actually the very edge of something that's so much more massive than the sun, okay? But we can't see it here on Earth. So here to give it some perspective. UI Scooty is 1,700 times larger than our sun. Now, our sun is enormous. You can fit more than a million Earths. Think about how big the Earth is. You can fit more than a million Earths in our sun. Okay, that's really big. But almost five billion suns could fit inside a sphere the size of UI Scooty. That's massive. And you know what? God made that too. He's so creative and awesome. So the heavens and everything in it and the earth and everything in it, God created all of it. It all shows us and testifies how amazing and how great our God truly is. So I'm gonna invite Pastor Chris to come up and share the next few parts of this psalm with you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Miss Day. And can you guys give a hand for all the volunteers that put all this together? I feel like when you go up here, kids, you're gonna to have to go like this, like real slow motion, right? So if we look at the next couple verses, thank you, Miss Day, for talking about creation. Hey, Hi, Greg, I see you, buddy. About creation, but I want to talk to you about the commands of God in the next couple verses. It says this in Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. Did you guys hear those adjectives or describing words about the word? It says that it's perfect, refreshing, trustworthy, right, radiant, light, pure, enduring, firm and righteous. Now I, I pulled this rock out of my yard this morning 
And uh, thank you, Patrick, for bringing that over. This is what I think of something hard, pure, solid, a solid rock upon which we can stand. And that's what the word of God is. We can take this word and we can trust it. Amen. We have the authority of scripture. We understand that this is God's word. You guys talked about the Old Testament, but there are some things about the New Testament I want to tell you. The New Testament, uh, says Norman Geisler, who's a New Testament scholar, the New Testament has not only survived in more manuscripts than any other book in antiquity, but it has survived in a purer form than any other great book. 99.5% pure from the original manuscripts. That 0.5%? are spelling differences, or and and the, right? So there's no discrepancies in the word of God. Homer's Iliad is the only other book of antiquity or in, in the old days that has 647 original manuscripts. That's a lot. But our Bible has 5,300 ancient written manuscripts. Now, I don't know if you guys know this. Does anybody know that this isn't just one book? How many books is this? Does anybody know? 66 books that was written by 40 authors over 1,600 years, over three continents, in three different languages, and yet it all fits together perfectly. Now, could you imagine right now, if I took all the kids in this room, maybe there's 40 kids, and I said, okay, spread out around the property and write down your story. Just write down your story. Let me see what that says. And you went out and you wrote down your story. Now imagine coming back in here and I start to fit that story together. Do you think that would fit together like puzzle pieces? No, right? But this was 40 authors over 1,600 years, multiple different languages from shepherds to kings, and it all fits perfectly. I want to show you guys a picture about the cross-references of Scripture. Now, down here, you can't really quite see that, but those are all the books and the chapters of the Bible, starting from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation. All of those lines represent a cross-reference. There's about 65,000 cross-references in the Bible, all written all over the place. Now, is that stellar? Is that astronomical? Right? And then the blues and the purples, like that, that, those are the ones that are closer together. Then they get lighter as they're further apart. As Miss Day said, there's over a hundred of them that just talk about Genesis 1 1. That's amazing. So we can trust this word. And let me tell you this no discovery has ever disproved a biblical reference. All you headies out there, all of you, all of you out there, intellectuals, no discovery has ever disproved a biblical reference. It's always been the other way around. The Bible has survived all attacks, okay? So we think, think about science, right? Back in 1861, here in America, there was a letter that was circulated all across America of 51 scientific reasons why the Bible was not true. They put all this all across America, and they were handing this thing out. There's 51 scientific reasons why the Bible's not true. As of today, all 51 of those reasons have been disproved. The Bible is true. Now, I will tell you, truth does not change, but science does. Now get that in your head, adults, too. Truth doesn't change, but science does change. Now, I think about this rock, and this rock is hard and solid, and I'll be honest with you guys, when, when I think about this rock... 
If I drop this on my toe, it'll hurt, okay? If I drop it on Gray's toe, it'll break his toe. <laughs> but I will just tell you, this is hard and solid. And honestly, when I was growing up, when I was my kid's age or even a little bit older as the teenagers, whenever I heard somebody talk about the Bible, it felt like a lot of, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Have you ever heard your parents do that, right? Yeah? There's a lot of adults who are like, yep, right? No, don't do this, don't do that, right? And, and we hear that, and it's harsh, and it sounds painful. For example, I told my son, don't shoot your sister with a Nerf gun. Guess what happened yesterday? Both of them were crying because Sissy got hit in the eye with a Nerf bullet. And so, yes, there's, there's a lot of don't do this and don't do that. But I have to tell you the next verse. Psalm 19.10 says this. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. So it also describes God's word as something sweet, as something good, as something savory. And, oh, man, we're talking about a lot of stuff before lunch here, chocolate and honey, right? But that's how the word is. I know the other day my, my daughter asked me, and you guys can see this, my Bible is falling apart, right? My Bible is ripping apart. And she said, Dad, what happened to your Bible? And you know why my Bible's falling apart? Because I love my word. Because I open it regularly. Because this, this is life to me. It, it feeds my soul and my spirit. And, don't, and I know some adults are in here too, and you grew up being bashed on the head with this book, all right? Maybe physically, literally. But I want to remind you that it's also sweeter than honey. It gives life to us as well. And the last verse says this, Psalm 1911 says, by them your servant is warned, so it, there is the harshness. In keeping them, there is great reward. God has both warnings in here, don't do this, but don't you think the creator who created Scuddy way out there, you tease, what is it? Scooty, Scooty, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> don't you think the God who created that knows better? Don't you think the God who created that deserves to warn us, hey, be careful if you go this direction, but he also rewards us when we obey his word and we do things according to his word. We feel the sweetness of the life that he has called us to. And I just want to say this as I close and Pastor Aaron comes back up. Listen, we act like the Bible is just another textbook sometimes with a bunch of tests that we need to pass. And listen, we don't worship this Bible. We worship the living, breathing author of this word. And we allow his Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth of the word. Thank you so much. So that's the commands of God's word. Amen. Good stuff. Yeah. You know, Pastor Chris, I just remembered a great Spurgeon quote while you were showing us your Bible. Spurgeon said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. So that's good. Good thing, man. We use the word or drain the battery on it if it's digital like mine today. But so we have three witnesses in Psalm 19. The first is the commands or the first is the, the creation. The second is the commands of God's word. But there's a third, a third witness, a testifier about who God is. And it's actually closer to us than the creation that's right outside of these windows and outside of the doors. It's even closer to us than the commands of scripture. Even if your Bible is laying in your lap right now, this third witness is closer. It's your conscience. 
So everybody, real quick, just help me out. Point to your conscience. <laughs> right? Like, I can't do that. Why? Because it's the thought that's in my head. It's an ache in my heart. It's a feeling in the pit of my stomach. Like, your conscience is what makes you feel like something is right. It's what makes you convinced that, that something might be wrong. And, and since you were created in the image of God, your conscience points you back to your maker. It points you back to God. And by the way, having a conscience is unique to people. Like, like we're the only thing God made that he gave that to. Like, like we, we've got six in our family, myself and, and my wife, Day, and our three daughters, Morgan, Macy, and Mally. But the sixth family member is Reese. Uh, we got a picture of Reese. How many animal lovers do we have in the house? All right, lots of animal. Any any pet owners? Anybody got a pet? Yeah. And you know, like I was like that. Our dog, she is part of the family. I mean, we even call her our little girl. I mean, we even let her like jump up on our bed. You know, I mean, she she kiss you on the face. We don't have a problem with that. I mean, she is our little girl, and we call her that, and we love Reese. In fact, she's been a part of our family for eleven years now. So sometimes we call her our little old lady, but. In fact, we have a picture of when she first came home. Yeah. Everybody's grown up a little bit since then. That was day one of Reese being our little girl. And, and I mean, she's beautiful. She's sweet. She's a smart dog. She can do stuff we want her to do. But can I tell you, Reese doesn't have a conscience. Reese did something pretty gross last week, if I'm honest with you. I mean, not becoming of one of my in the backyard. And, and we, we caught her, and we're like, what are you doing? What did you do? And the ears go back, and the tail tucks in, and she comes back in the house. You know, because she's learned that tone of voice, and we say, I can't believe you would do that. You know, she's like cowering. But a couple days later, I'm standing on the window. I look out the window. She's right back there again. She's back at it. I'm on the window. Reese. The ears go back, tail goes down, she comes scurrying into the house. I'm like, what's wrong with that? That's disgusting. You don't eat that. You're supposed to be like our little girl. This morning we got up, we're coming to church, everybody's getting ready. Reese, she's just, just lying like a dog on a summer day. She's just out. She's just enjoying herself. She has no conviction about what she did this week. She feels no remorse. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs that as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool return to his folly. And the truth is, as much as we love our little Reese and, and we call her our little girl, we as people, boys and girls, we were created in the image of God. That's what Genesis 1:27 says. We were created in his image. In Psalm 8 and 5, it says we were made a little lower than the angels and we were crowned with glory and honor. You can't say that about any other creature in all of creation. God has made us in his image. And you can't say that about any creation that we can make. Whether it's, you know, robots or artificial intelligence, it doesn't matter how smart our AI gets, it will never have the imprint of the morality of God. Because that's unique to us as his created ones in his image. And so we have these three witnesses in Psalm 19, the creation, the commands, and our conscience. Or we could say it like this, if you want to write it this way, we could say the sunrise, 
the scriptures and the secret place of our hearts. Or we could say it like this. It's the world God made, the word God gave, and it's the whisper of God's voice. And so when we come to the end of Psalm 19, David says this, verse 12 and 13. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So David is conscious about the fact that he doesn't want to sin against this awesome, awesome God that is revealed in creation and in the commands of scripture. And he doesn't want to sin against God. So he begins to pray about two types of sin. The first type of sin in verse 12 is just mistakes. Ever made a mistake? Yeah, yeah, every hand ought to go up. We all make mistakes. Everyone messes up. And sometimes we mess up and we actually sin against God. And we don't even realize we sinned against God. But the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, in the Old Testament, Moses was given the law in Numbers 15 that was specifically a description of how to make a sacrifice in the temple for unintentional sins. Because people just mess up, they make mistakes. And so David asked the question, who can discern their errors? Like who can keep up with all their wrongdoing? And the answer is no one, none of us can. We need the Holy Spirit to to remind us. We need the commands of scripture to make it uh, understandable to us that, oh man, I messed up, I need to repent. I I need to ask God for forgiveness because if we don't deal with the errors, He says in verse 13, there's another kind of sin, and that's willful sin. So not just mistakes, things we did, and we say, oops, I didn't mean to do that, but things that we knew were wrong, and we chose to do it anyway. He says in verse 13, at this stage, we're justifying sin. At this point, We start lying to ourselves. When we're doing willful sins, we start making excuses to us and to other people. We start saying things like, well, I'm not hurting anyone else. I know what the Bible says, but I know lots of other Christians that do it all the time. Or we say things like, well, God knows my heart. God understands. It's not that big of a deal. Can I just tell you, In in 20 plus years of ministry, I've sat down across the couch from adults who have rationalized sinful choices that any kindergartner could come in the room and tell us that's a sin. Because we know it's not about knowledge. It's not about lack of understanding. It's about a willful decision to say, I'm going to do what I want to do. Why do we do that? Why do we choose sin? The reason we do is because there's another voice, not just the consciousness of God in our heart, but there's what the Bible calls a sinful nature that lives inside every one of us. And the Bible says the sinful nature is opposing the voice of God and his spirit. Here's what it says in Galatians 5, 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in one. 
So when we listen to the sinful desires instead of the spirit of God, the Bible says we actually become enslaved to those desires, enslaved to that sin. That's why David said in verse 13, he said about willful sins, he said, may they not rule over me. Like, I don't want them to rule over me. Listen, sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always cost you more than you want to pay. Always. And every time you ignore the voice of God inside, you are willingly saying, I I'm giving in to this spirit of my flesh. It's, it's like this. It's almost like you're just like feeding a little tiger, just a little cub. You, every time you give in to willful sins, you're feeding that tiger until it grows up and eats you. Like, <laughs> the Bible says the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When Cain, the first family in the Bible in Genesis 3, when Cain was jealous of his brother Abel, this is exactly what God told him. In Genesis chapter four, verse seven, God said to him, hey, listen, Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Of course you will. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And so that's why David said in verse 13, Lord, uh, don't let willful sins rule over me because if I don't rule over them, they're gonna rule over me. So it's no wonder that David comes to the end, the last verse of Psalm chapter 19. He's seeing creation declare the glory of God, the commands of God like a rock and like honey, just drawing him to God, the, the, the consciousness of God in his own heart, drawing him to not, to not live in sin and rebel against God, but to come to God with a pure heart. It's no wonder he responds with this last verse. And this is his prayer, and this is gonna be our prayer today as we end the service. He says, may the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Who's that? The Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's Jesus. It's, it's, it's David writes this song and sings it to the Lord. I can just imagine him. he's thinking about creation and the cosmos and he's thinking about the commands of God's word and he's thinking about his own consciousness that's tender to the voice of the Holy Spirit and they all lead him to Christ. And he declares, Lord, my rock, you're my redeemer. Only you can give me a firm foundation to stand on. Only you can redeem me from my sins. So here's my prayer. David says, I want the words that come out of my mouth because the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation, the thoughts of my life because the Bible says as a man thinks, so is he. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, let him be pleasing to you. So we're going to pray together as we end this service. And I want to lead you. We're going to just pray David's prayer, Psalm 19, verse 14. We're going to pray it in our own words. But I want to just invite you today to consider how awesome this God is. He's not hiding. 
He's made himself abundantly known in every sunrise and sunset in the scriptures and in the secret place of your heart right now. He's speaking. He's making himself known through the world that he gave, through the word that he's made, and through the whisper of his spirit inside you. He's making himself known. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I, just, wanna, I just wanna pray like David prayed in verse 13, and I wanna ask the Lord, God, would, would, you, would you forgive my hidden faults? That's a prayer we should all pray. Like maybe I've done something this week. I, I, didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to offend the heart of God. I, I wanna honor God. So this is a prayer we should always be quick to pray. God, just, just cleanse me of my hidden faults.
be a week that marks them for the rest of their lives. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you, church. Have a wonderful day.